0: Our scripture today comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Over the first three weeks of this series, Thriving in Exile, we've had our eyes on one particular exile of God's people in a particular time and place when at the beginning of the 6th century BC, God's people were taken from Jerusalem into Babylon in exile. The first week we looked at the prophet Habakkuk who prophesied that this exile was going to occur and that God was going to do great things in and through the season of exile in the hearts of his people. The second week we looked at the prophet Jeremiah, who actually wrote from Jerusalem, he wrote a letter to those who were in exile in Babylon, and then last week we looked at the book of Daniel, and in the prophet Daniel, and in his life, he was one of the recipients of that letter that was written to those who were in exile, and we got to see how they took that letter and applied it to their situation, and how they were able to live for the flourishing of the city that God had sent them into exile in. Daniel, toward the end of the book, has a vision of a king. He has the vision of a king bringing his people home, but not in some kind of temporal sense where they just simply return back to Jerusalem, but in a more transcendent sense where he is an ultimate king who brings his people fully and finally home to their heavenly home. This week, as we have another look at thriving in exile, I want to take you to the prophet Isaiah. I want to take you to the prophet Isaiah, who was speaking into the situation in his nation, speaking the word of the Lord to Hezekiah, who was the king at the time. And this is before, again, we're we're going back before the exile, and he's prophesying that it's going to come. What I want to do is take you from Isaiah to John the Baptist and to Jesus and show us the way home. Isaiah chapter 39, verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon." Right? So just like the prophet Habakkuk, way before the days of Habakkuk, Isaiah says God's going to raise up a foreign enemy, a foreign power, and they're going to come in, besiege Jerusalem, and carry some people away into exile, including some of the royal household. Now we know from reading Daniel last week that some of the royal household, they had names. It was Daniel and his friends. They were part of that royal lineage. They were the cream of the crop, and they had been taken to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's empire. But notice the next thing that Isaiah prophesies just a couple of verses later. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. See, Isaiah is speaking the word of the Lord to the king when he says there's going to be a season of exile. Some of your people are going to be carried away, but that this season of exile is going to come to an end and there will be a return home. And even with the word of doom in Isaiah 39, at the beginning of Isaiah 40, we have a a, a contrasting word of comfort for the people of God. But I want to show you this because the comfort points way beyond the simple return from their exile in Babylon back home to Jerusalem. It points to something way beyond that. If I could say it like this, the word of comfort promises a lot more than a simple return to the way things were. Just look at the next verse, verse 2, or verse 3. It says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." So here's the picture that's going on. See, when a king would come and visit your city, the king of the nation, the king of the empire, would come to your city, what you would do is you go prepare the way so that the king's road into the city would be smooth. You gotta think the king is arriving on a chariot or a wagon of some sort, and your chariot and wagon back then did not have the same suspension as your car right now, and so you wanted to level out all of the bumps and make the way smooth, so that when the king is coming, it's an an inviting thing. You wanna fill the potholes, you wanna smooth the surface, You try to flatten out the rough places on the road and you make the way of the king as smooth as you possibly could. But this isn't talking about like repaving Canby Street for a royal visit because this is not talking about a normal king. This is talking about preparing the way of the Lord Now, in your Bible, that's going to be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. It's talking about the covenant God of the scriptures. It's not talking about smoothing out the road for some local king to come in for a little visit, collect some taxes or whatever they might have been doing. It's talking about the cosmic scope of things being made ready for the arrival of God himself. Just look at the language in verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. So it's not talking about going out and filling the potholes and smoothing the bumps. It's talking about valleys being lifted up and mountains and hills being brought low. It's pointing to something way beyond preparing for a return from temporal exile in this way. It's talking about how the Lord who would come and make a way for salvation. It's talking about making a way for the salvation of the Lord to come. Now, if we fast forward several hundred years from Isaiah prophesying about exile and return, and we move into a guy who said this was his job, John the Baptist. He said his job was to prepare the way of the Lord. He knew the true king that Daniel was looking forward to and the Lord that Isaiah was prophesying about. He knew this true king and Lord had come in the person of Jesus and that it was his job to prepare the way. He was a bit of an obscure guy, and he was out in the wilderness baptizing people and preaching a message of repentance from sin, and people wanted to know what he was all about. It says in John chapter 1, verse 22, So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. What I want you to see is that 500 years after that Babylonian exile ended and the people of God had returned home, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, outside of the city, quoting poetry from his Bible about returning from exile. He's not talking about a temporal exile and he's not talking about a normal king. He's looking at the prophecy from Isaiah 39 and 40, the prophecies of exile and the comfort of return, And he's applying them to the situation at hand. He's talking about the true king, the true Lord who has come, not to bring us home from some kind of seasonal exile. He's the voice crying in the wilderness that the true Lord and the true king has arrived to make a way for us to come fully and finally home. John the Baptist is out in the desert quoting prophets who prophesied exile and return, but he's doing so as a way of talking about the human condition of exile from God and how Jesus has come to take us home. He has come to prepare a way for us to be made right with God. John the Baptist has come to prepare for the way to be revealed. Listen to what Jesus says later. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ city Jesus is the way home. Jesus is the true king revealed to Daniel in his exile. Jesus is the Lord of Isaiah's prophecy. And listen, because he says, let not your hearts be troubled. In a season of unsettledness, uncertainty, a season where all the regular circumstances are removed from us, There would have been great turmoil emotionally for the disciples when Jesus was saying this to them. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. So I want to ask, where are you troubled in your heart? Where are you tossed about in your soul? Where is life kind of like floating along in the boat in the troubled seas where the wind and the waves are just slapping against the boat and shaking you around and you're in the midst of a confusing storm? Where is your heart? John 14 verse 1 let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Um, Hudson Taylor was a a great British missionary to China in the 19th century. Uh, He said, have faith in God means hold God's faithfulness. Have faith in God means hold God's faithfulness. So your trust can only be as effective as the object you're placing your trust in. Your faith can only be as strong as the one that you've placed your faith in. Therefore, to have faith in God means simply to take hold of God's faithfulness, to lean into and believe into his nature and character. See, Jesus is saying, I know you're troubled, but believe in God and believe in me. So if Jesus is the object of our faith, the object of our trust, the object of our hope, then we don't need to despair. See, even weak faith in a strong object will calm our hearts in the midst of the worst circumstances. See, we aren't saved by the strength of our faith as we go through trials, but we are saved by the realness and the faithfulness of the object of our faith, Jesus. Jesus is saying, trust God's faithfulness, take hold of it, and in the midst of your troubled heart, he says, cling to him, cling to me. And what if you're struggling with that? Let me read verses two and three. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What I want you to notice in this passage, if you're struggling to take heart in this situation, let your heart not be troubled, what I want you to notice is that the you in this passage is plural. Jesus is not talking to an individual. He's talking to his people. We're not a bunch of autonomous individuals. We're Jesus' people. So when we're troubled in our hearts, we actually have the ability to share that experience, and then we're collectively called to believe together. To be part of Jesus' church means that you are not left alone in your troubles, that you are not left alone in your struggles. If you're having a hard time with it and and maybe you're just out of faith right now and you're saying, honestly, I don't have faith to believe that there's going to be a good outcome to this or that God's going to provide in that way. I, I, I know, I understand. If you're having a hard time with it, borrow some of my faith. Let's come together as the body of Christ And let's pray for one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's strengthen one another in the faith. I don't think you can thrive in exile, in isolation, if you're trying to do it alone. I think this is leading us to the reality that there's something corporate happening where the word to not let our hearts be troubled, well, I think we have to do that together. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, but... Really, what is the answer to the troubled heart? sounds like a great statement, but what is it based on? The answer for the troubled heart is to know that he is making a way for us. Look at verses 4 through 6. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like Thomas would prefer a roadmap. That's what's going on. He says, Jesus is going. Jesus says, I'm gonna prepare the way and you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, no, we don't know where you're going. Why don't you tell us where you're going? And he wants kind of a roadmap so they can make their way to where Jesus is. Jesus offers though, nothing but himself. Look at verse six again. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus says, I'm not offering you a roadmap for the future and I'm not trying to show you how you can find your way home. He says, I'm telling you, I am the way. You follow me. Thomas Akempis said, you follow me. I am the way and the truth and the life, without the way there is no going, without the truth there is no knowing, without the life there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth which you must believe, and the life for which you must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. And see, as the way, Jesus promises to go and prepare a place for us. We are no longer spiritual refugees with no place to call home. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam and Eve disobey the one command that God has given them to obey, and they fall into what the Bible calls sin. It's willful rebellion against the commands of God. And the consequences of their sin mean that there's a judgment leveled against them whereby they are exiled from the garden home that they had, and they become sojourners in the land, exiles in the land. Their rebellion and sin, in that sense, has displaced them from their true home. They sin against God and they are banished from their homeland in the Garden of Eden. And the story of of Adam and Eve being cast out of the Garden of Eden is an explanation of the true state of every human being apart from a relationship with God through Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, "I, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And I just want you to see that he is the way. As you look at the future and you're not sure what it's going to look at, I just want you to understand that he is the way. As you try and discern what might be in front of you and how you can figure things out, I just want you to understand that ultimately Jesus Christ is the way. We've been talking about all of this exile in all of the scripture and all of the prophecies and all of the promises and I just want you to see that Jesus came to make a way home for us. And the implication here is that apart from Jesus, there is no way home out of exile. The way of our return from spiritual exile and our separation from relationship with God, that way took Jesus to the cross where he laid down his life in our place and for our sin. So on the cross, Jesus joined us in spiritual exile to provide a way for us to be made right with God. See, on the cross, Jesus Christ was forsaken so that you can be assured you never will be. And in his resurrection... Jesus opened that way to life for all of his people to come home. Jesus conquered every enemy, every obstacle, so that you could be assured of God's love for you and that you could be confident that your exile has come to an end. And in the midst of every uncertainty in life, we anchor all of our hopes in the certainty that Jesus said he would go and prepare a place for us and that he would come again and take us home. And that's what all of these prophets have been speaking about. I think that's what Isaiah was speaking about. Not a return to the way things used to be, but a return to the way things ought to be, where we make our home in God. Let not your hearts be troubled in this season, Christ city. Let not your hearts be troubled. Know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. That none come to the Father but by him. But if you place your hope and faith in him, He promises to bring you home. If you're gathered or are going to be gathering with your house church online, now is the time to prepare to respond in communion. It's the time to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. Remember how he has made a way for us, as I said, to be assured that he will bring us home. So your house church leaders will lead you into the celebration of communion, whereby we take the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus, and we remember what he has accomplished on our behalf. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful that in the midst of any season of trial, exile or otherwise, that you sent Jesus to be the way, that you sent him not to give us a roadmap for the future but to be the way and you called us to follow him and so help us to follow Jesus. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us to know the way home is through him. (laughs) Help us to know that the way home is to abide in your love. Let not our hearts be troubled in this season, but we trust you in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.